0: democracy. It's season two. Uh, I'm still Tom Mills and he's still Dan Hind, I believe, aren't you? I'm still Dan hind We are back and we are going to be, I hope, bigger, better and brighter and older than before. Dan, we've been away since Christmas. What's we, been going on? We have. We had a
1: series of specials, didn't we? We had a couple of retrospectives um, and now we're back in the middle of things. I've yeah. tried to persuade Tom to pivot to being a Twin Peaks podcast. He's refused point. <laughs>
0: um, I've, I've, I've We're going to stick to reviewing the media instead of um, niche television I've, for the time I've being.
1: Try to convince him that we should only talk about Quincy Jones's interviews um, in the last few days, which are astonishing and well worth checking out if you haven't if you haven't come across them. Um, but Tom in his infotainment insists that we stick with our brand.
0: Yeah, for uh, the fans,
1: and continue to talk about the media and democracy, how these things come together and are misunderstood or understood. And to kick off, Tom, we're going to talk about conspiracy theories, aren't we?
0: We are, and I've been wanting to do this for a while, but a couple of things sort of, I mean, I I think we suggested it before, and then a couple of news stories sort of popped up after we'd uh, we'd agreed we're going to do it. Um, we like to take a sort of sideways glance at the news, don't we? And on this occasion, what were the stories then? The first one was your Masonic Lodge in Westminster. That's right.
1: So the Guardian ran with a story about two Masonic Lodges operating in Westminster, where, where MPs and political journalists meet and um, socialise in a completely innocent and above-board way. Um, okay. And the second story that popped up um, was Nick Timothy. So good they named him twice.
0: Um, (laughs) Do you want to, to for the benefit of viewers who aren't as infused about politics as you are, explain who uh, Nick Timothy is?
1: Nick Timothy used to be...
0: Friend of the show. Theresa
1: Mays, chief advisor. Um, And I'm getting a bit of feedback now, but I'm going to press on. Anyway, he... um, was I think chief of staff, wasn't he, until the disastrous general election?
0: Um Yeah, the, after the brilliant general election campaign that he ran that turned out not to be brilliant. And he, um he, and then she kicked him out on his ass, didn't she?
1: Well that's right. When he when he um when he failed there, the rigors of the market kicked in and he found himself writing a column for the Daily Telegraph. Mm-hmm. Um which is evidence that um The market's always right, and um, success is always rewarded. Anyway... So he's
0: now a public intellectual of of sorts.
1: He's a public intellectual, and he wrote an article warning darkly about um, a a plan by um, George Soros to undermine um, Brexit. Now, as far as I can tell, uh, he was just describing a a pressure group um, which is partly funded by Soros... But The Telegraph did, did, start, did, did frame it as being about a secret plot um, to bring down the government. And the, as it were, the, the sort of confluence of George Soros and secret plots um, has, sort of, has a sort of family resemblance to a lot of conspiratorial stuff about George Soros, which is much more prominent in the United States. Uh, and in Central Europe, um, so that created a certain stir about um, whether uh, the the Brexit-supporting right was was indulging in conspiracy theorising. And mm-hmm. as Tom said, all this happened after we decided to have an episode about conspiracy theories, which I th- just is incredibly suspicious. Coincidence? Uh, it, oh, I, you know, is it coincidence? Be, I just don't know. Um, the um, but it did, it, it, so it sort of created the background. Um, at the same time that the, these things were going on, um, the government has announced uh, a review into the media, um, which will look at the sustainability of national, regional, and local press. How yeah. content creators can be appropriately awarded for their online creation to ensure that the UK has a vibrant, independent, and plural free press. Um, but rather than talk about that, we're going to talk about conspiracy theories. And then yeah, we will, we will
0: probably come back to that, You could um, if, but we may just pivot to conspiracy theory show.
1: Matt, well, I, can, can. We could, I do yeah, feel I, quite comfortable with yeah. that. And you can argue that one of these conspiracy theories do do is they distract people from the operations of government which are happening in plain sight, or the operations of the corporate world which are happening in plain sight, which are incredibly significant. Um, and if you're not careful you can run around looking for sort of nefarious things going on in secret and miss the fact that actually quite a lot of what's very important is happening um in broad daylight. Um, yep. so we will I hope come back to this um uh, this media review and also to uh Theresa May's comments about um threats to um uh, candidates and so on which which came out at much the same time and I think between these two things, this review into the funding of media and this culture of online abuse, which Tom and I spoke about in the summer, you can see the outlines of a uh, what trendy people would call a new form of governmentality uh, in the ways that the media are going to be treated in the digital future. But to hell with that, we're talking about conspiracy theories now, um, and what I thought we could do, Tom, is start with us, as it were, a taxonomy of conspiratorial discourses. Uh-huh. Which basically all that means is like the different ways that you tend to see conspiracy theorizing referred to or treated in the media so there's a there 's a collection of four sort of styles of talking about conspiracy theories um, that that overlap with each other and 're related to each other and i 'll run through them very quickly. The first is the idea that conspiracy theories are a consolation for the defeated, um, as a Professor Uskinski at the University of Miami, put it, conspiracy theories are for losers. Um, As a sidebar, the University of Miami was once host to one of the CIA's largest secret stations during the Cold War. So (coughs) it's nice to see the University of Miami is in the business of talking about conspiracy theories in a very, very reality-based way. Um, The second way of talking about them is to say... um, in a kind of concern-trolling way, that conspiracy theories are a way that certain sorts of people bring order and meaning to a chaotic world, right? And the idea here is that if someone's super famous, super significant, like a hyper-celebrity like John Kennedy or Princess Diana dies, the idea that they could just be snuffed out by um, a car crash or a lone gunman doesn't really sort of suit, it doesn't fit our way of Of understanding how causation should work, and therefore, there must be something more going on. Something that important must have been um, murdered for for some much more significant set of reasons. And related to that, I think, is an idea that conspiracy theories appeal to the the pleasure that we take in narratives. Um, Conspiracy theories are a certain sort of storytelling. Um, and they start with sort of the magician's flourish of saying, oh, you think you know what's going on, but actually I'm going to show you behind the scenes, I'm going to show you how the trick works, and if you look at this, that, and the other, and you piece these things together, it turns out that um, it's all much more complicated than you think, but it's also much, in a sense, much much more narratively satisfying. Um, And the final one is this idea that conspiracy theories are evidence of a kind of clinical um, paranoia, or a quasi-religious mania. Um, and the idea there is that, um, uh, you know, something like the classic anti-Semitic conspiracy theory is a sort of secularized version of old religious narratives about a Manichean confrontation between light and darkness. Yeah. Um, and, and that the, you know, the, the person who believes in, um, the, the a conspiracy theorist, or is prone to conspiracy theories, is looking for um, the constellations of religion in a world where uh, you know formal religion or you know institutionalized religion is is in retreat, um, and that is that's I think the, between them, those four those four four kind of ways of talking about conspiracy theories really dominate how conspiracy theories tend to be discussed in the yeah. media. And before I before I kind of throw it over to you, I mean the what the one the, the one thing I would sort of would emphasize at the outset is how how this idea that conspiracy theories are for losers is incredibly it's an incredibly persistent and powerful notion which flies in the face of this very well documented elite penchant for conspiracy theorizing. So if you look at for example the run-up to <coughs> the English Civil War you see in in Puritan writing intense paranoia about um, papal um, uh, plots to um, overturn English liberty. In the run-up to the American Revolution, you see a very similar story coming from people like Thomas Jefferson arguing that George III is planning to um, overthrow American liberty. Um, And during the Cold War... Uh, you see um, Kennedy and others talking about a monolithic uh, global conspiracy, uh, you know, um, orchestrated from the Kremlin, which is which is you know is kind of act global conspiracy theorizing because that even when they were, when they were talking, it was clear that China and Russia, for example, were in, in no way operating in concert, and yet there was this idea that there was this this sort of monolithic uh, conspiracy to undermine uh, global liberty. So. Actually, um, conspiratorial paranoia is uh, is very much, I would argue, a feature of really existing um, ruling classes. So that's, I mean, that's that's how I would want to kick off. Um, do, you want to, do you want to sort of chip in before we talk a bit more about other ways of thinking about conspiracy theorising?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, just to add to the sort of elite conspiracy theories, I mean, it, I suppose the Cold War is the, um, the uh, period I'm most familiar with here. And uh, so, for example, the the Reagan administration um, put about this idea that the Soviet Union was responsible for an international terrorism network where basically what had happened was various um, violent um you know uh, struggles in predominantly in the global south, um, which some of which had connections to um, communist states, some of which didn't, or some of which had, had, had very vague connections. Um, all these different bits and pieces of data were sort of weaved together in this into this kind of grand conspiracy theory that was um, came together in this book called *The Terrorism Network* by a, a journalist actually called um, Claire Sterling what was quite interesting about this particular case was, I mean, she obviously believed it. And like all conspiracy theories, it was based on actual evidence and um, encounters. It was also based on misinformation that had been put out by the CIA, um, which, of course, features enormously in all kinds of um, conspiracy theories uh, as a protagonist rather than... um, uh, an instigator of misinformation, um, the, the, the CIA had, had put out misinformation about the Soviet Union's activities, um, claiming they were influencing enemies of the United States, for example, in Latin America. And um, essentially what, what happened was this, and the combination of that and misinformation and information from journal, uh, journalistic sources, some of which were sound, some of which weren't, were sort of drawn together into this idea. Of the terrorism network, you know, which was, um, as you described it, a a popular um, elite um, conspiracy theory, which uh, which sort of made its way around Washington, you know. And actually, what was funny about this particular case was that in order to be taken seriously in Washington at that time, you had to sort of go along with it, or you either believed it or you had to pretend that you believe it. Um, But even when the CIA uh, (laughs) instructed William Casey, who had been appointed by Reagan, that this you know, the slightly embarrassed way that this, this book was nonsense and it was based on misinformation that they put out, um, the Reagan administration still stuck to its guns, you know, and uh, all of the classic kind of elements, which, which is, as you mentioned, the, um, uh, the, uh liberal sources of conspiracy theories associate with uh, apart from like as you said like the socially disadvantaged or the losers or whatever um, you know trying to make sense out of um, chaos uh, things that they don't understand why on earth is why on earth are other parts of the world resisting American power um, trying to weave things together into a nar- narrative a kind of paranoia or an almost religious mania we're all kind of present in this uh This notion, you know, which was, as you you rightly point out, was an elite conspiracy theory. Um, And, yeah, I think you see it in all kinds of uh, modern wars as well. Um, And uh, some of that is misinformation and some of it is clearly believed by by powerful people.
1: Um, I mean, we shouldn't overlook as well the extent to which the war on terror has, you know, has a great deal in common with with uh, with what what liberals would have no problem as recognizing as as classical conspiracy theories right yeah i
0: mean so on the fringes of the war on terror you know you, you have the um counter jihad movement which is uh has this notion that uh that europe's been taken over by muslims and that because of the sort of lack of uh self confidence and um you know uh Vitality in Western culture. Multiculturalism has made the West weak, you know, and and that that means that um, the 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 secret enemy, which are, which is operating through you know civil society organisations, right, charities, right. front groups, and the rest of it, um, said to be connected to you know the Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood or whatever, um, are operating a kind of uh, yeah. Uh, a covert campaign to take over Europe and undermine Western civilization through, um, often through breeding more quickly than than Europeans and striking Europeans, um, you know. And then there's, of course, the connects of that is this notion of like cultural Marxism.
1: Well, I was going to say it's interesting, isn't it, in that, that often in conspiratorial think, thinking of a certain kind of elite, an elite kind. Um, perhaps, you know, more than most, you have this fear of, of debilitation, yeah. um, which was, you know, parodied in um, Dr. Strangelove, where, you know, the, the Air Force um, general t- warns about how fluoridation is a plot to deprive men of their manly essence. And, I think, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I do think it's, it's important to sort of, without, you know, without being dismissive about it, but to be aware of the ways in which... Um, conspiracy theories gain some of their charisma from from ap- appearing to explain um, or explain away certain kinds of of anxiety, anxiety about, as you say about a loss of a loss of certainty or a loss of rigor or vigor, and the way that you know cultural Marxism is a lot like fluoridation in a way, in that it just sounds scary, <laughs> you know, and um, it, it's not really clear what what people are talking about if there is actually anything to talk about Uh,
0: I mean which you know the the cultural Marxism stuff um, which is you know essentially the sort of notion that uh, liberals or or Marxists have um, engineered a kind of cultural Gramscian march through institutions that have undermined uh, you know the western institutions from within which so obviously has a family resemblance to some of the uh, Far right discourse around, um, you know, Muslims and and the counter-jihad movement. Uh, yeah, all, all of that stuff is uh, is based on that that notion of um, a weakness of the establishment, which is very very common. In conservative mainstream conservative and reactionary thought so there are obviously I mean if you can characterize them as this there are sort of left and right conspiracy theories I, I suppose broadly depending on who you identify you know the 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 evildoers uh, as being um, and that particular variety of course in conspiracy theory uh, anti-Semitism becomes very common and I think varieties of cultural Marxism you know, I mean, some have just not even barely disguised anti-Semitism and and other conspiracy theories sort of, uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier with regard to uh, Soros, um, easily slip into these um, anti-Semitic notions of, uh, yes, you know, um, Jews as sort of personifications of... uh, of evil trying to undermine european civilization all those all those old sort of um nazi ideas you know could clearly have some sort of resonance in um a good a good number of conspiracy theories
1: yeah i think we we should we should come back to that um and, and talk a bit more about the the politics of conspiracy theorizing and, and and how they play out across the spectrum um to go back to the sort of the the sort of families of ways of talking about conspiracy theorising, we talk about slightly t- t- two, two less common ones. One way of thinking about conspiracy theories is actually that they, they are an attempt to get at um, a more accurate description of the world, that they're a kind of unlicensed or, or um, uh, how should one put sort of kind of citizens' um, political theorising. Um, and and this, and I think that there I think there's something important to discuss there about the ways in which um, problems in the communicative order, problems in the, in the in the in the way that we generate and share knowledge, um, lead to lead to citizens um, looking for explanations elsewhere. Um, one of the things that's really striking to me in the relatively short amount of time i 've spent in the United States is how how completely at odds um, the as it were the oral culture of the United States is from its media culture that 's to say if you get away from professional middle class or upper upper middle class um, people on the coast if you talk to people um, in in um, places like Texas, like the notion that Kennedy was killed by lone government to most people you talk to in bars it just seems like a fucking joke you know they just they just it's just it doesn't even occur to them to think that um the official story in any number of respects is plausible um so I think there is a you know there is quite it's quite there's quite an easy way of dismissing conspiracy theorising, which is to say, as we sort of touched on, in many ways it reflects different kinds of psychological infirmity. But I think there's a much more challenging um, way of thinking about conspiracy theorising, which is that it's a symptom of a very serious problem in the way that we attempt to make sense of the social.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I think, you know, the, the sort of topology that you started with um you know i i don't think all of it is is problematic there's a kind of a truth in all of it and i think to return to the first one which i think you know was sort of this is the ideology of yeah um the losers as it were um i mean clearly as as, as you've said and i agree this 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 doesn't stand up because it misses out a big part of the picture in terms of you know the paranoid style of elite um politics particularly when it comes to official enemies and 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 warfare and um espionage and the rest of it but i do think that's where you find that grain of truth in um this notion that okay the the conspiracy theorist is is the loser well turn that on its head a bit i mean that sort of take the idea of being a loser being based on the assumption that you know the game is okay i mean if we're if 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 it's clear to people that um, the official descriptions of what's going on in the world um, don't account for their experiences then that in the sort of you know literature on conspiracy theories is seen as the sort of first step towards conspiracism right this kind of a acknowledgement that there's all this belief that begins that there's something wrong with the world and that the official accounts of how the world operates um, don't seem to add up well I mean
1: it seems just, to I don't me- want to break out your flow, but I like, but just to you know, to, to, give, to illustrate that, um, th- that assumption is baked into um, this conspiracy research by the guy who said that conspiracy theories are for losers. One of the, they, have a que- they developed a questionnaire to sort of detect conspiratorial ideation in, um, in sample groups. And one of the statements you were asked to agree with or disagree with was, quote, even though we live in a democracy, a few people will always run things anyway. Um, now if you, if you say you believe in that, that's sort that ticks the box of you being a conspiracy theorist as far as they're concerned. It's like, it's one of the things that indicates you have a conspiratorial term of mind. And and in fact, that's just sort of basic political realism,
0: right? That's
1: just the case.
0: Um, And yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the weird thing about that is, is that, you know, of course all the evidence supports that view, you know? So if you look at like, you know, the fairly mainstream political science the work of martin gillens who looks at how the american political system operates and finds that you know some the the one zero point one percent of the population seems to be um their political preferences are all expressed in the american political system
1: yeah
0: i was like well if you don't believe that then um that's the first step towards conspiracism
1: yeah so exactly so you unless you have delusional beliefs um, yeah, you will be... unless
0: you have a wrong view yeah. of how society operates, then you you will tick a box on the conspiracy theory uh, yeah um, test.
1: And you know, again, this is coming out of the University of Miami, which has close links to the CIA and other that. So you can see you can see why this kind of stuff um, would itself promote suspicion. We should, by the way, give a nod to the CIA again quickly for coming up with the most like. Perhaps the first use of the, f- uh, the phrase "conspiracy theorists" when they were talking about how to discredit people who thought that Kennedy was killed by a conspiracy. Um, there is a famous memo you can find online where they advise using book reviews as a way of attacking conspiracy theories about the Kennedy assassination. Anyway, oh, listen, uh, I interrupt you. You were you were being super interesting about um, yeah. So the way that um, conspiracy theory can be a response to you know a grounded sense that something is is not as advertised
0: yeah exactly because if you if you think um you know uh let's go back to the sort of classic marxist statement that the the ideas of any any period are the ideas of a ruling class well the sense that the sort of official version of how society is working that proliferates, you know, in, in the American case, the sort of American dream and particularly certain notions about how American democracy functions don't really will, will, will grate with your own personal experience. But it depends where you are in in the American class structure. You know, so if you're if you're near the top, then you know you can of course flatter yourself that um, you're brilliant and that you've achieved great things in a democratic meritocracy. Um, if not, it might appear to you that there are other things going on. There was a a paper that um, that I read by uh, a researcher on conspiracy theories called um, Bradley Franks, and who says that the conspiracy theory journey begins with unease with the way that the world is. So that's, that's the first step on the way to the conspiracy worldview, a sense that things maybe aren't quite right in the world. Um, So you can see again, like this sort of notion that there's the way to understand conspiracy theory is partly a sense that um, all is not right with the world. And the, the, as you said, um, there may be people uh, who have more power and more influence um, who have stacked the system against everybody else. And that's the sort of intuitive sense, I think, that everybody gets, you know, in in life. And so, the, therefore, the sort of official notion, as it were, of, of kind of uh, meritocracy markets and democracy seem to not, not ring true to people. Um, and in this kind of understanding, yeah, that, that puts you on the kind of... Um, conspiracy theory spectrum as it were i noticed like um i was going through uh last week uh this um the 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 Enderman trust barometer you know it's a thing that comes out every year they uh this, this company does this big survey about trust in institutions and they have a lot um on the media there. Right. And one of the things that they said in the UK version of uh, their their research, where they interviewed people, they were asking people whether you listen to the news. And I think it was like um, around, it was something like 30% of people said they listened to the news less, and 19% of, uh, as in, uh, in including that first three, included within that first three percent, 19% said they avoid the news these days altogether. And then they also asked them, uh, that, why? And of those people, so I, the first three percent who said they don't want to listen to news, don't listen to news as much, or mm-hmm. li- try to avoid it altogether. Forty percent said it was depressing, and okay, fair enough. Thirty-three um, percent said it was one-sided or biased, and twenty-seven percent said um, they think that news is controlled by hidden agendas. Um, wow. So. That there There is this kind of um, sense in which uh, and I think you see this you know you and I are obviously very interested in questions of um, media bias and 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 power and have conversations with people online about all that and there's there's also you, you know the, the vision of the role that the media plays um, in society it, it is is clearly to some extent linked to um, conspiratorial thinking, which is one of the reasons why I thought it'd be quite um, quite interesting to 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 talk about conspiracy theories on the show, basically.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, lurking behind a lot of the a lot of the 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 academic theorising about conspiracy theories, as you say, is is almost a sense that sanity is about being well adjusted to how things are. Yeah. Um. And and that goes that feels like a very fifties conception of, um, you know, an un, un almost an unexamined society to which you should just. unquestionably adapt and failure to do so means that you get pumped full of pills or you get lobotomized um and actually increasingly i think people are not feeling at home in the existing order and they are struggling to find ways of accounting for their discontent and that's not to straightforwardly embrace conspiracism i think we should touch on a the, the politics of conspiracism um and you know often that conspiracies are used to support um a quite straightforwardly reactionary agenda the idea that trump is a a kind of manchurian candidate for the russians for example um i think is is supporting um a reactionary agenda in the democratic party which is seeking to Avoid any serious reflection on um, the need for social democratic reform in the United States, and is looking for a, a kind of foreign villain um, uh, that can be that can be excised from the body politic and normality that thus restored. And I think this is a very it's a very appealing conspiracy theory to um, a lot of well-heeled Democrat supporters. Who don't want to think that actually maybe they need to pay more tax, um, maybe um, the structures of government need to change in United States to become more inclusive and democratic, and all that needs to happen is that, that uh, a wicked conspiracy that's somehow captured the White House uh, needs to be unmasked. Um, and you know, going going back a little further, I mean, you know, conspiracy theories do have an enormous kind of reactionary potential um modern antisemitism uh is is traced back to a plot by the Russian secret police to discredit socialism and communism um by weaponizing uh existing uh antisemitism um through the protocols of the elders of Zion and so on um and that mutates and is um uh, in a process that 's sort of analogous to other kinds of um conspiracy theories. German far right, the German far right take up this these anti-Semitic fantasies and they, they believe them uh to be literally true. Um and that obviously has disastrous consequences. So I think we should be you know we should be aware that the conspiratorial imagination can take one to very very dark places. Um, but I also think it, it's important that we bear in mind that um it uh, th- that, shouldn't, um, that shouldn't become a way of making cert- certain sorts of topics, certain sorts of subject areas taboo. I mean, to paraphrase Freud, you know, sometimes loathing of the financial sector is just loathing of the financial sector. Uh, and I have, you know, I've discovered it you know, in my writing, when I've talked about the particular role that finance plays, as, a, as it were, as an engine of exploitation people go, oh, hang on a minute, that sounds all, you know, it sounds like you're talking about, like, a, you know, an anti-Semitic conspiracy. And it's like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't allow the fact that the anti-Semitism has been conflated with um, the financial sector in the past to, to, to sort of persuade us to stop talking about the financial sector as a thing with its own dynamics. Uh, as a thing to be explored and understood in its own terms. So uh, I think that the politics of, of conspiracy theorising are actually deeply complex. Um, and uh, and this, I think, touches on what we should perhaps talk about at the end as, as we kind of draw this to, to a close, which is the relationship between structural accounts of reality um, and accounts of reality that have more of a close-grained... And, and biographical um, level of approach.
0: So yeah, I mean, it, it was um, was it Bettini who said uh, called it uh, socialism of fools, anti-Semitism, anti-capitalism of uh, fools, the, more, the, more. the the idea that um, you know the Jew as a as a sort of racist um, figure comes to to, to symbolise. Uh, capitalism as a social system, and for the Nazis, uh, it embodied both um, finance capitalism with all of its kind of liberal, well, with all of its kind of abstractions, liberalism with its sort of uh, being divorced uh, from the land and from militarism and masculine violence. And, and communism as well, So, but, but the, you know, the, the, the sort of figure of the Jew that then becomes associated, of course, with, with, with Jewish people and, and leads to this kind of uh, this genocidal impulse in um, National Socialism in Germany is, yeah, rooted in that kind of right-wing anti-capitalist idea, which again is, is given a kind of, you know, ethnic um, uh, literal embodiment to these kind of, uh th- these reactionary kind of impulses and you can see that in conspiracy theory i mean just going back to what 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 you opened with in terms of understanding um complexity and uh and, and trying to reduce um, re- re- reduce complexity i think to a certain extent also what what ends up happening is that you know, you have these complex um, social societies, complex social processes, complex um, change, which then um, becomes embodied in particular people, and of course within anti-Semitic conspiracy theories of the Nazi types, or the modern Islamophobic uh, conspiracy theories on the far right, um, you know, particular actual people or peoples, groups of people become um, associated with uh, these, uh, yeah, anxieties. But it's not just that they're um, scapegoats in the time of anxiety uh, it's that the people start to um, embody uh, particular processes of social change I suppose so in the case of Nazism democracy liberalism uh, capitalism and, and communism as a sort of uh, you know modern ailments against uh, sorry modern ills against which the national the national socialists were um, were opposing I mean the, the and then this sort of Begs the question, though, you know, if uh, on, on the one hand, of course, you know, we want to resist conspiracy theory uh, and particularly, of course, these kinds of reactionary and ultimately sort of genocidal um, conspiracy theories, uh, but at the same time don't want to dismiss the, the the basic impulse that the official versions of the world aren't as they are, then, you know, what is the, the third way here between you know neither conspiracism nor liberal complacency how how are we able to um strike a mid course here
1: what you're calling for is a, is a kind of centrism isn't it Tom?
0: Yes, <laughs> a, cent- a centrism of um of, of conspiracy theory a, a, um, <laughs> a, a third way which I think here we could stake out um much as Blair and Brown did in that um Islington Curry house
1: that's right um I mean, I th- you know, I, I think that, I mean, my, my, my view is that we, on the left we can be too reliant on um, the idea of impersonal forces or um, structural um, forces being at work. And we can shy away from actually looking at what individuals do and, and recognising that there is a space for individual initiative, um, and that it's not, it's not, as it were, um, f- from first principles, disreputable to ask what particular individuals thought, what they did, what their, what, their, what as it were, what the content of their character was, and that the job, as as your namesake, C. Wright Mills described it, in the sociological imagination, our job is to reconcile the world of biography with the world of History, as it were, with the you know the the the, the business of abstract analysis has to be um, reconciled in a um, in a, a, a as it were a systemically plausible way um, with an understanding of of as it were the zone of personal experience um, and the ambit of personal decision making, which undoubtedly exists. Right, I mean. The, the fact that the, the Koch brothers in the United States have spent so much money on developing a particular conception of right-wing politics, or conservative politics, has had major impacts on political culture in that country. I think it yeah. would be a mistake to say, oh, well, if they, hadn't, if they hadn't been there, then some other couple of oil billionaires would have done exactly the same thing. I, do you know what I mean? I think that that we we obviously don't have in any simple way, sort of authorial control of our times. Um, But individuals matter, meetings matter, um, particular institutions matter. They tell us important things. And if we get a fit of the vapours and start sort of crying about the dangers of conspiracy every time we talk about the particular, um, the events, as it were, abounded in space and time, um, then I think uh, we, we end up contributing to this very broad sense that that the generally available descriptions don't work um and you know so that that's my that's my feeling on that and i think that you know again the overriding question for us always has to be is like how can we create a um a media system which which allows us to recognize um the role of uh of of individuals and defined groups and and recognize the particular problems of, for example, researching secret organisations or secretive organisations, um, and but but does so in a way which is which is able to reconcile that with a um, with a, a, a as it were you know a, a clear analytical understanding of um, of the structures in which these take their place. Um, yeah, and it's a, you know it's a it's a perpetually unfinished process. But I think it's clear to me that that, this, that the the media systems we have at the moment are, in a way, they're kind of they're creating the illness that they then decry, right? So you know, media institutions are terrible at describing reality, and then they, they look at how the you know their audiences are trying to make sense of things in a more or less um, haphazard or or um, uh, f- fabulous confabulating way. And then they go. Oh look, look at these people. They're idiots. They're incapable of of understanding. And it's like you you're part of why they're in this state. You know, um, you've got them drunk, and then you're complaining about their drunkenness.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to pick up. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm probably in a way um, just repeating points that you've made. But I mean, it's, it's something that I you know feel quite strongly about. Is that on on the left we we do, we have lost this kind of sense of uh, ruling class agency, if you want to call it that. I mean, it's one of the points, actually, that um, Wolfgang Schreck makes in, um, in in Buying Time is that in the 1970s, there was this kind of sense, uh, particularly in the writings about social democracy, the impulse there became this sort of idea of capitalism without capitalists and a system operating Without agency, became very popular, and 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 later, of course, you get you get the very strong influence of structuralist Marxism, um, and these kind of classic debates, you know, between um, Miliband and Palantsis about, uh, you know, is, can this, is is the state um, structurally determined to operate one way or another, or is it to do with the people who are actually operating within the state? And the argument, um, in short, of the structuralist was that. Uh, people there who are decision makers are effects of structure. And one of the points uh, that Wolfgang Schreck makes is is that really, if you want an understanding of what's going on in a society, you need to take seriously the idea of elite agency, as C. Wright Mills did. And that was one of the responses, actually, from um, from what were then called the pluralists. You know, the the complacent liberals in the American Academy, the same sorts of people who um, write these fairly dismissive articles about conspiracy theory as being a sort of failure to um, adjust yourself to the world appropriately, or to to not see, in fact, that the uh, system is democratic and fair. I mean, the the kind of precursors of uh, of those academics um, who were you know, interlockers of, of C. Wright Mills did use this phrase conspiracy theory um, to describe what Mills was saying, which was um, correct, as it turns out, uh, that American society was uh, power was concentrated in in an elite which were making key decisions and that actually it wasn't a functional democracy. Now, of course, there was this kind of lively debate that unfolds where everyone sort of assumes that the the pluralists made a good case when actually they didn't. Uh, Eventually, they sort of back down and say, actually, this appears to be a a society run by business. But I think what what you then get, and again, I'm sort of conscious that I'm saying things that you've already said, is this kind of... Reflex amongst Marxists particularly um, or more sophisticated minded people to think that if we, t- we, we shouldn't talk about individuals, we should talk about structure and I think this was a, a kind of a fallacy where what you do is you take an abstraction from the social world, which was you know Marx's impulse sort of following um, you know classical political economy to say that we we, we work back from reality and to our models to try and understand the underlying dynamics of the system. But the thing is with Marx is that what he was very good at doing was combining history, you know, what we would now call sort of anthropology, um, you know, and and all kinds of uh, ways of understanding the world in in order to make sense of society. And what what you end up with, I think, with that kind of structuralist Marxism or that more intellectual Marxism that wants to dissolve individuality amongst capitalists and other elites. Is yeah a system where you don't the ruling class just disappears altogether, and that you lose the sense that actually these people who are running the system a don't know what they're doing, um and b don't know what's going to happen. And actually, I think what's quite interesting about that when it comes to conspiracy theory is one of the key things that's said to distinguish conspiracy theory from other forms of thought is the idea of elite um, omnipotence and omniscience, right? Yeah. So. The in, in that sense, um, a, 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 a critical theory, if you like, that's rooted in an understanding of a ruling class actually existing, i.e. the sorts of people who go to the President's Club or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and the sorts of people who go to the, the Freemasons, I mean, I don't know where we'd want to say that, but certainly like organizations like Bilderberg, which are actual um, meetings of influential people, um, these are actual decision makers that exist in real life and do make decisions in key institutions and do have influence within markets. And, you know, I would also think of, in, in this respect, in terms of political economy, um, you know, the, the making of global capitalism, which is a great book that gives the sense of actual people sitting in rooms making decisions about how how the future global, uh, global political economy is going to be organised. And, you know, they do that in a very sort of exact way using... You know, uh, press reports and archival um, research.
1: And what you find as well is that, yeah, this process is it can be recoverable. And the decisions that that are made are based on ideas that happen to be lying around. Um, Yeah. And it's not the case that I think that there's, um, there's any inevitability about any particular line of development. Um, you, you, could, you could argue that there are various very you know, significant pressures on policymakers uh, to move towards a globalised version of capitalism. But the mechanisms that they use to do that, um, the institutional um, innovations that they, uh, that they consider or that they employ, are, um, are not given. They are, they are, they are decisions that are to some extent within their grasp, within their power. Um, and as you say, we, we can't make sense of the world uh, if we if we try and erase the, the role of of real life decision making. Um, nor, nor should we try. Nor should we try. Now, we've been talking for about three quarts an hour, and I think we've covered an awful lot of ground. Um, I would like to wrap this up with two quotes from noted music producer Quincy Jones uh, who has been um, doing the, the PR rounds promoting a Netflix programme so there's the that's what his motive is that's what his dark motive is but there are two quotes which I thought were well worth sharing with our listeners the first is he's talking about um, his experience of the political world and he says I was around the White House for eight years with the Clintons with the Clintons And I learned how much influence Big Pharma has. It's no joke. Um, And the second quote from Quincy, which I think we should all have tattooed on our arms, is, when you keep secrets, they backfire. When you keep secrets, they backfire. So there you go. That's conspiracy theories. Don't keep secrets.
0: Yeah, be open, everybody.
1: Come and tell us all about it on Twitter. Which is not a a, a conspiratorial trick to make us waste our time.
0: (laughs) Um... I neither is the show.
1: Neither is the show. You can listen to this show while you're doing something useful, you know, like cleaning your house or
0: plotting. yeah, did washing up, go for a run.
1: There's any number of things you can do. Um, good. Well, Tom is T. You're T A T-A underscore Mills. I put it to you on Twitter.
0: I am indeed. If you want any more more of me, I'm on there. I'm tweeting occasionally.
1: He's always there on his bullshit. Um, I am at Dan Hind on Twitter, and I. I manage to tweet some days, um, and I get quietly despondent if they don't go viral, so... help, done out. Please, can you rate us on iTunes, and like us on on things? Um, It's uh, apparently helpful, um, and it means that we can spread our poison.
0: Um, Yes, help us please, like us on iTunes, and what other platforms are we on then? I don't know. Well,
1: we're on SoundCloud.
0: Do they have a uh, a liking system there?
1: They might do, you can follow us on SoundCloud, we have 80 followers from our first season, um, which is, you know, it's what it is, Um, but we are going to, this season we're going to drive towards commercial viability, aren't we Tom?
0: We are, if we hit 100 on SoundCloud, we know that we're well on the way.
1: Exactly. All, we're always looking for those, those sweet metrics. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we sign off, Tom?
0: No, just we'll be back next week. So, um, we are going to be happy. back
1: next week. We're going to be talking about platforms, aren't we?
0: We are. Um, we're glad to be back and we're glad you joined us. It's going to be one hell of a show. Yes, um, same time, same place next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.